Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Bob Berg, welcome to Inside Out. Thank you, Billy. Great to be with you. All right, let's get started. I'm going to read something to start. As human beings, we have the ability and the choice to lift people up or to put them down. And we don't even have to speak to them directly in order to do this. My dad has always had an amazing gift for making people feel good about themselves. I try to emulate dad and never been able to do it to the degree he has, though he told me different. Dad's ability isn't finding the good in everyone. It isn't only finding the good in everyone. It's also verbalizing it. So let's talk about the greatest ultimate influencer you've ever known, your dad, Mike Berg. Well, thank you. And yes, I, I believe he is. I, and I got to, to see him, uh, you know, really as he just related to people in such a kind, authentic way, always interested in them. And really, uh, you know, to me, the ultimate encourager and, and influencer. You call him the master of good speak. And you, you say that tact, or that he said tact is the language of strength. Right. So clearly he had a major influence on you. We know most who've heard of you know you from your book, The Go-Giver, uh, and the series of books that have that same name in it. But one of the books that stands out from your many books, practically a dozen books that you've written, is Adversaries into Allies, Mastering the Art of Ultimate Influence. And so I want to start by talking about how you define not just influence, but ultimate influence. What does that mean? Yeah. So first, let's define influence, because I think we need to start from there in order to take it to that, that next level. Influence on a very basic level can be defined as simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Again, by, by definition, that's what influence is. Now that's its definition. I don't believe that that is its essence. Mm. I believe the essence of influence is pull, pull as opposed to push as, as in the old expression, how far can you push a rope? And the answer, of course, is not, not well, at least not very fast or, or very effectively, which is why great influencers don't try and push their will on others. They don't try to push their ideas on others. They don't try to push themselves on others. They're not push-y, right? They don't mm. push, they pull. You never hear people say, wow, that David or that Joanne, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with mm. people. No, they'd say she's influential. She has a lot of pull with people. And that's really 
what influence is. It's, it's pull, it's an attraction. Great influencers, um, they attract people, they pull, they attract people first to themselves and only then to their ideas. And they do this again through pull. Now, how does that happen, right? How does that manifest itself? What do we mean by by pull? Well, the the great influencer, who we would call the genuine influencer, and I, I I use the term ultimate influencer and adversaries into allies. And John David Manns in my last book in the the Go Giver series, the Go Giver Influencer, we changed that from ultimate influencer to genuine influencer. And I wish I had done that in the original book because I like genuine influencer. I think that's a, a better term. Than, than ultimate influencer, but but either either one works. So to me, the ultimate or genuine influencer, the way they pull is through their focus. See, I believe it's important to be internally motivated, but outwardly focused. So what they do is they focus on on others. They understand that as Dale Carnegie wrote in his his landmark book, his classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People, that ultimately people do things for their reasons not our reasons. So the genuine influencer begins by asking themselves questions to make sure their focus is correct on the other person. So they will ask themselves, how does what I want this other person to do, how does it align with their goals, with their needs, with their wants, with their desires? How does, how does what, I, what I want this other person to do, how does it align with their values? How does it help solve a problem for them? How does it bring that other person closer to, to happiness? Mm. And we're asking ourselves these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate another human being into doing our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process. Now we've come a lot closer to earning that person's commitment, which is through pull, as opposed to trying to depend on some type of compliance, which is push. Mm, yeah. yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and so as you, it. right, right. It, may, it makes perfect sense. And I, and I love the distinction that you've made because as, as Del Carnegie puts it, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. And as, as you've so beautifully said, the reality is that if we want people to do something, if we want people to take action, if we want people to go toward a desired outcome, it has to align with what they want. And as you've said, their values and their goals have to align. So before we get into these principles that you outline in your book, I want to talk about the cat that you found, Cat Liberty, because yeah, Liberty the cat. So tell me about the lesson, the life lesson you learned from that animal as you so beautifully tell the story in your book about how the, the cat slowly but surely made its way into your house. Well, Liberty was, but what happened was my neighbor, uh, Terry, had uh, come over to tell me that there was this, this hungry looking, you know, skinny kind of mangy looking cat that was outside that, that she believed was, was probably a stray or, or feral. We, we didn't really know. She didn't know. And I, and I went outside to, to, to uh, look with her. And, you know, the, the cat was looked like it was angry and starving and, you know, everything that uh, unfortunately happens so, so often uh, with animals who aren't taken care of by their humans and, you know, are left to fend for themselves. And so, you know, I uh, put down a, a little, I tried to give her a, a bowl of water and um, the cat wouldn't, you know, go near it. 
uh, not while I was there. And I, I tried to give the cat some, some cat kibble and she wouldn't go near it while I was there. But when Terry and I stood way back, the cat who later would be named Liberty. So the, the cat who is soon to be named Liberty <laughs> would now <laughs> kind of approach carefully and looking around and everything, but would approach carefully and would drink and eat as long as no one was there. As long as she had an out, you know, as long as she had an escape route, she was fine. And over the course of the next couple of days or so, you know, we did the same thing, just kind of better, but backed away and let her. But then I started, you know, kind of putting the plates down a little closer to my house and so forth. And she would come over and, you know, and again, as long as, as she didn't feel any threat, she was fine. She always had an escape route. Eventually I, I brought her, uh, you know, so around the side of my house, the back of the house to where the patio is. And I kept the door open and I would keep feeding her closer and closer to the inside, you know, window that would go from the patio into my house. And, and she was fine. And she kept doing that. Now there was a certain point. And, and by this time, as I said in the book, I was starting to fall in love with her and I uh, wanted her to be my cat and I wanted to be her human. And, and so I was thinking, how can I, you know, get it so she feels comfortable enough to be able to come into the house and so forth. And so uh, eventually I got to the point where I put the bowl of the, the, the food and the, uh, and, and now she was getting like regular cat food. And so it was really good and so forth. And, and uh, I put the food and the water down in the doorway or the slot of the slide away door window thing, however you describe that sliding, sliding door. And, um, and she would, she would eat it again, as long as I stayed in the house, but now I would get a little closer to her. And now she was actually eating with me right in front of her. Uh, but the, the door, the sliding window door was still open. Now I thought, okay, can we get her in the house? So I brought it a little bit in the next time and she actually came in just a step. But now as I tried to close the door behind her, okay, non-threateningly, but just in a way so that we could establish that she could come in the house, she panicked a little bit and started to, but as soon as I saw her do that, I pulled the door open wider so she knew there was no threat. So again, she was a foot in the house and, uh, and then I gently closed it. She was fine. And what it really was, was the understanding that it's not that she, she wanted to leave. She just wanted to know she could leave. And that's actually a very basic principle, not just of animal nature, but of human nature. As human beings, one of our driving forces within us is autonomy, freedom, the ability to call our shots, to know our lives are ours, that we make the ultimate decisions for ourselves. One of the things I teach in the book, which we, we learn through the Liberty story, is what I call the out or the back door. And that is to when you're looking to persuade someone or influence them to take on a different idea, thought, position, whatever it happens to be, is to always leave them a back door. Never have them feel pressured as though they have to say this or that, or they have to do this or that, or they have to commit to this or that, okay? We need to always give a back door so that they understand uh, that, they're, that, that they're not being asked to comply. It's not push. Instead, it's pull. And, you know, the, what I call Berg's law of the out or back door is simply that the bigger the out or back door you give someone to take, the, the, the greater the chances are they will not have the need to use it. So you don't give someone the outdoor back door so that they take it. Although if they want to, they will, which is up to them. No, you give them the back door so that they feel comfortable enough with you and the situation 
to not feel the need to take it. The, the key is comfort. You just said it, right? Emotional comfort and this emotional backdoor. And what a wonderful story to help illustrate that point. We feel a whole lot more comfort when we know we have that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. as I mentioned, we're going to get into these five principles. Before we do, I have a, one more question for you because I love these foundational origin type questions that help to set the stage for how you've developed your ideas and your thoughts, one being your, through your father, another through even a story like encountering this cat that you took in. Another one is yourself. And I have to admit, I relate to this anger thing that you had when you were younger. And I don't know how severe it was. I know for me, I had a really bad temper, but you've mentioned that you, you had, you've battled anger. You even talked about in college, you know, you were in politics and you admired some of the people who stayed composed. And so one of the yeah. principles that we'll get into, this will be a great lead in, but we'd love for you to talk about how the anger or potential anger that you had in your life, how that helped to inform some of the ideas and thoughts that you have later in life as you've developed these concepts. Yeah. Well, the first, you know, the first principle basically is to master your emotions. This is where it all begins. Uh, the sages asked who is wise and they answered that person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy or of a potential enemy a friend. I mean, this is it when you think about it, right? Where it all begins, because it's only when you're in control of yourself, when you're the boss of yourself, that you're even in a position to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a win for everyone involved. Yet how, and you know, how much respect do we have for that person who everyone knows is that man or woman who they keep their head, you know, things are going on all around them. Other people are panicking and that they're, but this person they're okay. They mm. keep their head, you know, they, they think it through, they, right. And so, and we know this, we all know this. And yet how often do we, based on what someone else says or does, how often do we allow ourselves to get, um, you know, to be hurt or, or feel victimized or, or, or frustrated or angry. Right. And we, we say or do, uh, the very thing that is not only not productive, it's actually very counterproductive, totally the opposite of what we need to do in order to get the results that we, we want. We say, well, if we know this, why don't we do it? And the answer is because we're human beings. And as human beings, we are emotional creatures. It's, it's simply how mm. we're built. Now, we'd like to think we're logical. And to a certain extent, of course, we are. But we're pretty emotion driven. We make major decisions based on emotion and we back up those emotional decisions with logic. We, we rationalize, which if you break up the word rationalize, it simply means we tell ourselves rational lies and we mm. tell ourselves rationalize in order to justify the fact that we made a decision that we know really wasn't the best one, or we do it to, you know, justify our actions because we really don't want to admit that we, you know, that we made a mistake. And that we acted in a way that was inappropriate and, and unhelpful. And so, you know, we're, what we're not saying is to deny your emotions or to, uh, you know, um, forego your emotions. Absolutely not. Emotions are a wonderful part of life. They bring us joy. They make life worth living. No, by all means, keep your emotions. But make sure that you are the master of your emotions as opposed to your emotions being the master of you. Or as my great friend, one of my true mentors, Dandi Skumachi, as she so wisely says, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you 
are driving the car. And that's mm. the key. Emotions have a place. They actually bring us wisdom. They help inform us. But when the final decision is made, if it's a decision of any type of consequence, the emotions need to be in the passenger seat. Okay. Safety belt fastened. Okay. <laughs> and our logical mind needs to be the CEO, needs to be the decision maker. Because to the degree that we make our decisions based on logic, again, with emotion, it was part of it, but based on, on logic, okay? To that degree, that's the degree we make the correct decision. And to the degree we make the correct decision, that's the degree that we get the results that we want. There's never any guarantee. You can make a great decision and still the results not be good. But to the degree you make the right decision, you're increasing the odds dramatically of the, the result you want. I could see why you put this first because it's it's at its core. If you don't have this, all bets are off for everything else because you, you're gonna gonna react as opposed to respond. And I love this quote: "Self control is the very essence of character." To be able to look to a man straight in the eye, calmly and deliberately, without the slightest ruffle of temper under extreme provo provocation, gives a sense of power which nothing else can give. To feel that you are always, not sometimes, master of yourself gives a dignity and strength to character, buttresses it, supports it, and on every side as nothing else can. This is the culmination of thought mastery. So who said that? Well, that was from Orison Sweat Martin in his uh, 1909 uh, book, Peace, Power, and Plenty. And Orson Sweat Martin, who's, who's considered by many as the, the father of the personal development, the modern personal development movement, he was actually the founder of Success Magazine. Uh, hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and that was his quote. And that was his book, Peace, Power, and Plenty, is one of my all-time favorite books. It's, it's amazing. But I thought that, uh, that passage from there was so, so very powerful. I mean, it really says it all. The, the person, the man or woman who who has that kind of self-control really is, is the master of their domain, so to speak. I mean, they are, they are in control of themselves. And because of that, they are, they have, they have created the context for a, a winning situation. Right. And I love some of the tips that you give some of the more basic ones, but if you use this and I've learned this a lot, cause like you, I'm on clubhouse is tone of voice, simply lowering your voice. Uh, right. and, and you, 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 you talk about the repetitions, both mental and in real world, like an astronaut. And, and I, I just watched the Olympics. I relate it to the Chinese divers. They say they got bored doing the same thing over and over and over again. But when you do something over and over again, you're practicing this ability to be, have that composure. So is there anything else before we move into the next one? Is there anything else that we could be doing proactively to, really recognize and, and live up to this really important premise of understanding how to control our own emotions? Well, as you alluded to, uh, rehearsal, mental rehearsal practice is so important because if you know that there's, let's say, a particular person who kind of pushes your emotional hot buttons and, and causes you to, to, to feel in ways that are, you know, again, really, they don't cause you. We, we allow ourselves to to be, whether it's angry, frustrated, what have you. Uh, if you know this is the case, you can actually prepare for that in advance by picturing in your mind the exact circumstance 
that ha- is going to happen. It may not happen exactly like that, but it doesn't. The principle right. is absolutely true, and it will be the same basic feelings. And and I would ask you to feel exactly how it feels when that person says or does that thing that they say or do. And even in your mind's eye, picture yourself handling it the the usual way you do, where you react instead of respond. And and it kind of there's a downward spiral, and you come away from it feeling lousy and the whole bit. Well, just picture that's not what you want, but it but we need to picture that now. Picture the exact opposite. Picture that person again saying the same thing they usually do, and uh, only now you're going to see yourself just handling it beautifully. You're going to see yourself responding and you're going to have an aura of calm that, that's going to also actually calm the other person because you're going to kind of reset that frame in terms of the, 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 the feeling that's brought to this. You're, you picture yourself saying, and you don't have to know what to say right now, that comes in later, but picture yourself saying the exact thing that diffuses this and, and, and turns that person around and and imagine the feeling of the outcome with this person being exactly what you want. Now practice this again and again and again, as you said, much like an astronaut who before going up on a a space mission, they run simulations, hundreds and hundreds of simulations. You don't need to do it that often, but do it (laughs) as often as you need to. So that by the time it, uh, a situation, this situation or something similar happens, Boom, you've been there. You've done that. You have that nano split second in your head. It's, I know this. I know what to do here. And you handle it beautifully. And when you do, take pleasure in that afterwards. And, and understand that if you can do it correctly that time, theoretically, you can do it correctly every time. Now, uh, with that in mind, also understand that you won't do it correctly every time because you're a human being and I'm a human being and we're still going to make mistakes. However, mm-hmm practicing this and then applying it, you will see within weeks, you will be absolutely a different person in in terms of how you are able to handle these kinds of situations. You'll be much more respected by others who sees you as that person who is, who is unruffled and who is in total control and, and is not, and is not controlled by what anybody else says or does and, and, and so forth. And it's just absolutely a game changer. Mm, powerful. And I love the reference to the simulations because ultimately when we put ourselves through any kind of scenario that is like what real life could be, you're giving yourself an opportunity to, to practice and know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. So I want to move into number two, which... W- let's face it, you talk about this, beliefs, they're, they're somewhat subjective, right? Beliefs, they operate on an unconscious level. And it, there's a difference between belief and truth or fact. Yeah. And so your second principle is understanding the clash of right. belief systems. Mm-hmm. So um, curious, you know, as we, as we dive in here, what, you know, you talk about first degree, then persuade, wondering how that plays into understanding others' belief systems and why that's so critical as an influencer? Well, a belief um, is a subjective truth, okay? It's, a, it's In other words, it's the truth as you or I understand the truth to be, which means it's our truth, not necessarily the truth. Now, sometimes our truths are also the truths, but not as often as we think. Uh, we are we are really run by a set of beliefs, what I call our belief system, and this belief system is a combination of 
upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television shows, movies, popular culture, cultural mores, really every experience that comes into our life. But it's pretty much etched in stone by the time we're a little more than toddlers. And after that, uh, everything sort of builds upon that basic premise. Now, remember, this is a belief system that we had nothing to do with putting together. Mm. It was handed to us. And, uh, and so most people grow up and they live their lives controlled by what I call an unconscious operating system, uh, thinking that they're operating out of free will and conscious choice when really it's nothing more than living in a, a matrix, <laughs> right? like in the movie, that first movie that you don't even know you're, you're aware of, that you're not even aware of, you don't even know you're, you're in. Um, and the, the most insidious thing of all is that is that we tend to think that the way we see the world, our belief system, is basically the same way other people see the world, uh, which is intuitive because how could it be anything different? It's always, <laughs> uh, but it's also incorrect because we see the world through our way, our, our set of beliefs, and they see the world through theirs, right? And uh, and so we have to understand that clash. Okay, because really conflict is nothing more than two people, uh, you know, arguing over what they think is the same thing <laughs> when it really isn't. Okay. And the biggest thing of all is understanding that indeed this person is, is coming at it from an entirely different viewpoint, an entirely different premise, an entirely different set of, of beliefs. So first it's understanding, it's being able to step into their shoes. But understanding that you're only going to do so by asking questions and listening and listening intently and listening fully and listening with a deep desire to really, really get where they are coming from. And it's only after we do that that we're even in a position again to be able to approach this uh, through a win-win outlook. Mm. Right. Listening from the back of your neck, I've heard you describe it. Uh -huh. So so we have three more principles, but I know we're out of uh, time. I'd love to get, um, so we have the third principle is acknowledging their ego. The fourth one is setting the proper frame. And the fifth one is communicating with tact and empathy. And I wanted to yeah. see of those three, maybe you could speak to one of them and then we'll wrap up. Well, I mean, you know, setting the frame is is so important because uh, what is a frame? It's the foundation from which everything else evolves. So when you've set the frame properly, you're 90% of the way to the results you want. Uh, if the other person sets the frame and it's a negatively set frame, well, now you're coming at it from a place that it's it's very difficult, you know, for there to be a, a great conclusion. And as mm. a, an example of a a frame, you know, it might be that you're about to do a presentation and the person kind of comes to the table defensive and letting you know, I'm not buying anything right now and I'm not some easy mark or whatever. What did they do for that? Type? Who knows that people are people and who knows what their past experiences have been, but they're coming from an adversarial frame. And if you buy into that frame, uh, at worst, now you're arguing with them about, well, blah, 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 and they're saying, right. Or at, at, at best, there's a defensiveness and you're, you're trying to do your presentation from a frame that she's already or he's already resisting, right? Mm -hmm. So what we need to do in this case is, is not buy into that frame, but instead reset the frame to a proper one. And, and so it might be something as simple as, you know, Mary or, or Tom, whatever their name is. Um, uh, while, you know, we've been fortunate to be able to help a lot of people through this, this product, 
uh, whether or not it's the right fit for you, we simply can't know, you know, without going deeper and discovering your specific needs. So please know this conversation is only for us both to determine mm. that. And if it works out that this is for you, great. If not, that's okay too. So I love this we, concept. Oh, go ahead. No, I've just said, well, now we reset it from one of two adversaries. Yeah. To one of two allies who understand that what this presentation or discussion is about is finding what's best for them. Right. And if, as you've described in your book, it's somebody's going to set the frame, right? One, one of the, the, the two people involved is going to set the frame and, and whoever sets the frame is in control and setting the frame in the right way can create that ally relationship mm -hmm. as opposed to that adversary relationship. So Bob Berg, so grateful for your time. You can... Find so much of this greatness at Berg.com. Also, his books, The Go-Giver Influencer, The Go-Giver, The Teacher's Guide to The Go-Giver, The Go-Giver Leader, Adversaries into Allies, which we discussed a lot of those principles here. Go-Givers Sell More, Endless Referrals, which I have a special place in my heart for that because my dad also wrote some books on networking. And, and then The Success Formula, as well as all over social media. And again, such a joy Anywhere that I didn't mention that would be great for them to check out more of your work and learn more from you, Bob. I would just say, as you had said, Berg.com, they can get chapters of the different books to see if they like where it's headed first. There's also, we have a Go-Giver Success Alliance mentorship community. It's a membership uh, site. And if people would like to check out, that's terrific too. So yeah, it's all at Berg.com. Beautiful. Well, once again, it's been an absolute joy. I hope we could do it again one day. And, and we only scratched the surface, but there's so much wisdom, so many principles that if people focused on these principles, their life would change in a meaningful way. And more importantly, they'd be able to change and impact the lives of others. Bob Berg, thank you for being on Inside Out. Thank you, Billy. Appreciate you greatly. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.